Amen. You may be seated. Turn with me in your Bibles, if you have one with you, to Luke chapter 16. Luke chapter 16 over in the New Testament. And um, by the way, uh, I, I think Stuart might talk about this more at the end of the service, but I wanted to make sure and point out that Easter is coming up. Uh, we're doing the one service over at the university. There'll be uh, kids programming, phenomenal kids stuff, but on, I believe it's on your way out, you'll get one of these, uh, which is a invite uh, for you to pass out to one of your friends and invite them to church on Easter. I think we're going to be passing these out over the next several Sundays, and if you want more, you can grab a stack of them, whatever you need, um, but it's going to be a great time as we just share the good news, the hope of the gospel. Um, and so be sure to grab one of those, maybe grab several of them, and invite, 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 because again, space won't be an issue, and it'll be great. Uh, well, today we're going to talk about a critically important topic, um, not necessarily a bad word, not, but not necessarily a good word or good topic but it's reality. Uh, today I want to talk to you about what the Bible says about hell. And uh, yes, I definitely know how to organize my preaching calendar where I just did a series on tithing and then I follow that up with a... <laughs> brings it full circle. <clears throat> no, I... Um, it, it's not a fun topic, but it's a necessary topic. And um, it's interesting that, and I'll mention this again later, but there's a higher percentage of people who believe in, they accept the reality and the existence of heaven than there are people who accept the reality and the existence of hell, which I'm not sure how that works. But according to the Bible, hell is very much a real place, as real as heaven. The Bible clearly, explicitly teaches that hell is a place to which the wicked, the unbelieving go, and it's a place that we've got to talk about. It, it, it's, it, it's the job of any good church leader to talk about this every once in a while um, because of the reality of it. And uh, I'm I hope that you understand the spirit in which we're talking about it this morning. It's, it's not a judgmental, condemning, you know, kind of banging the podium kind of, you know, a lot of the way I grew up. But really, ultimately, whenever I talk about hell, it's, it's really a topic of grace and of hope. Um... You know, this. I, I didn't wake up this morning going, oh, great, I get to talk to people about hell today. It's going to be an awesome morning, and probably some new people will be here, and they'll think, who knows what, if this is your first Sunday here. Uh, but the tendency is to have uh, kind of a, to do the buffet-style thing with our faith, you know, where we want to pick and choose what we believe, you know, where I'll, I'll yeah, I'll take a dose of this encouraging, happy, joyful stuff, but I'm going to leave that stuff over here on the buffet. And 
And I would argue the fact, which I will several times throughout the next few minutes, that um, there are many of us who say we believe in hell, but we, we either don't really believe in it or we don't understand the tragedy of it. Something, something's not coming together with a lot of folks. You know, if I, I were the devil, one of my tactics would be to either, number one, convince you that hell isn't real, or number two, to convince you that it's not really that big a deal. It's not really that horrific of a situation. Because if, if I were Satan and I could convince people of that, one of two things would happen. Unbelievers all around the world would reject Christ easily with no fear of God. And if I could convince you that hell isn't real or that it's not really that big a deal, then Christians would be unmotivated to share their faith. And we know statistically, and before I say this, let me, let me preface it. I'll say a few things throughout this sermon that um, it sounds like I'm pointing a finger and condemning, and I'm not. That's not at all the spirit. Remember, you know the whole thing, whenever I point a finger, I've got three or four more, depending on how you count the thumb, uh, pointing back at me, all right? Um, but statistically, we know for a fact that most people who call themselves Christians do not share their faith. And this leads to the point that many, even in the church, that say they believe it, I'm not so sure we really do. It's a complicated subject. Um, there are some things in Scripture that aren't clear, so we're going to take a broad sweep of the topic of hell this morning. You know, I... I uh, probably the biggest question is, you know, why would a loving God create such a horrific place? And the person who asks that question doesn't really grasp one of two things. One, they either don't grasp the holiness of God or the horribleness, if that's a word, of, of sin. Why does hell exist? It, it exists for God to deal righteously with Satan and the demons. Um, we tend to have this picture, I should say me, you know, it's, it's easy for me to think about hell this way, but we tend to think that Satan is the ruler of hell. We, we, we tend to think that we have this picture of the devil being in hell with his horns and pitchforks and all this stuff waiting to accept people in upon their arrival and welcome them. And we have this picture of Satan being the ruler, that, that this is his domain, right? But that's not the case. The Bible teaches that this place is to punish him and his followers. Listen to the words of Jesus in Matthew chapter 25, verse 41, and we'll get to Luke 16 in a moment. Then he will say to those on his left, Depart from me, you who are cursed, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. And so, one of the reasons that hell exists is for God to deal righteously with Satan and his demons. 
Uh, second, hell exists for God to deal righteously with unbelievers and, and the horribleness of sin. 2 Thessalonians 1, 8 and 9. He will punish those who do not know God and do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. They will be punished with everlasting destruction and shut out from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his might. I mean, this is difficult stuff to read and to think about, right? We, we tend to peruse over this pretty quickly when we get to these parts of the Bible. Let me transition. I want to share with you a story that Jesus told that's in Luke chapter 16. And this story had two main characters uh, in verses 19 through 24. And I'm, I'm going to just kind of work through it slowly. So just keep your Bibles open to it if, if you have your Bibles with you. Verse 19, there was a rich man who was dressed in purple and fine linen and lived in luxury every day. Now stop there, push the pause button. Uh, so we can talk about this guy for a second. You have to understand this guy wasn't just rich. He was like filthy rich. He lived in luxury every day. And, and right off the bat, let me say this. This story is not about rich versus poor or those who have plenty versus those who are in want. That, that has nothing to do with this story. That's not what we're talking about this morning. It just happens to be the two characters in the story. So the second character, verses 20 and 21. At his gate, talking about at the gate of the, this really rich guy, was laid a beggar named Lazarus, covered with sores, and longing to eat what fell from the rich man's table, even the dogs came and licked his sores. And so, stop there, we've got this rich guy, we've got this poor beggar who just wanted the crumbs from his table. And again, this has nothing to do with social economic status. It's not about, this is all about heart. Now, what happened to these two men, the rich man and the, up, and the poor man, when they died? Begin with verse 22. The time came when the beggar died and the angels carried him into Abraham's side. The rich man also died and was buried. In Hades, where he was in torment, he looked up and saw Abraham far away with Lazarus, remember the poor man, by his side. So Lazarus is in this awesome place. He was by Abraham's side, but the rich man is in hell, or what's referred to as Hades. And so here he was in hell, he's in torment, and he looks up at Abraham, who's a far, far away with Lazarus by his side, and um, that's, that's the scene that Jesus gives us. This guy is in torment, and if you read the whole story, there's this big chasm that can't be crossed. You know, the, the, the one guy, the poor guy, the beggar is doing great, and the rich guy is on the other side, and he's in other torment. Verse 24. So he called to him, Father Abraham, have pity on me and send Lazarus to dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue because I am in agony in this fire. Now, can you get a sense of the agonizing emotion that's going on that, that Jesus is portraying here? The rich man is begging for just a small drop of water to be put on his tongue. He's, he's in torment beyond description. Now, what, what do we know about hell? You know, we don't know a lot, but based on this description, we do know that hell is a place of unspeakable suffering. 
you know, some people might try to argue, eh, it's not real fire and brimstone. It is real fire and brimstone. It is a literal place. Is it? Let, me, let, me, let me settle that argument by saying this. Jesus used the worst possible words in the human language to describe this separation from God. That's what I can tell you. Um, here are a couple more passages to, to help give us a picture of this horrible place. Matthew 5, verses 29 and 30. If your right eye causes you to stumble, gouge it out and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to stumble, cut it off and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to go into hell. Now, it's easy to read over this quickly and just kind of skim through it. But understand, the spirit of this is not promoting... Um, self-mutilation. That's not what this is talking about. It's not talking about self-harm. But I, the message here is simply to avoid hell at all costs. Over in Revelation chapter 14, verses 10 and 11, where an angel is speaking about those who would worship the beast, Revelations 14, 10 and 11. Um says, they too will drink the wine of God's fury, which has been for, uh, poured full strength into the cup of his wrath. They will be tormented with burning sulfur in the presence of the holy angels and of the Lamb, and the smoke of their torment will rise forever and ever. There will be no rest day or night for those who worship the beast and its image or for anyone who receives the mark of his name. So what does the Bible say about hell it's a, a it's a place that's referred to as a fiery furnace it's a place that's referred to as burning sulfur it's a place it's, it says in hell there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth it, it, it's a place described as the outer darkness there'll, there'll be complete and total separation from god and from others you know those who go man i'd rather be in hell with my buddies than the you know they're so wrong there will be separation from anything that's beautiful, from anything that you love, from God himself, total separation. And I know this sounds harsh. This is very, hopefully, this is very untroy-like to, you know, be talking about this kind of stuff. But I'm just reading to you what's in the Bible. This is straight out of Scripture, okay? And as, as bad as you really want to, again, you can't do the buffet-style thing with your faith and pick what sounds, you know. Next week, I'm going to be preaching on heaven. If you sat through this morning, you need to make sure you're here next Sunday, okay? As you hear about the compliment side of this thing. But you can't pick and choose what you believe and don't believe about the Christian faith. Um, I, I don't like the topic any more than you do, but it's my job to make us aware of it and to keep it where we understand the reality of it. So there, there's a word or a place that's compared to in Scripture to represent what hell is like. The word is Gehenna. Uh, it's a word that's used in 11 different verses, 13 
times in Scripture and comes from the Valley of Hinman, which was a place in the Old Testament that became known as Gehenna, and it means the place of everlasting punishment. I think everlasting is a key word here because whatever you grew up in, you, you, you can't, this, we're not talking about a purgatory that you can pay your way out of or, or that you there for a period of time and then, no, it's everlasting. Now, the Valley of Henman was a big place, a real place where fire always burned. Um, this is where the people worshipped a false god by the name of Melech. He was the fire god. And this is how the people would worship this god. Um, they were required to sacrifice their firstborn son and offer it to this god. And this place, this valley of Hinman, became known as Gehenna, which was a very real place just south of Jerusalem. And it, in essence, the way you or I might think of it, it would be a, a huge garbage dump. And it was the place where fire constantly burned. It's where they would throw the bodies of dead criminals. It's where they'd throw the bodies of animals. It's where they would throw the trash from, you know, and, and the garbage from the city and throw it in this fire. And, and this fire just literally never burned out. Uh, Gehenna is this place where the fire doesn't burn out. It's a, compared to what hell will be like. And this rich guy is in this place of torment, a place that the Bible refers to as Hades. And he realized that as much as he begged, he wasn't going to get out. And his tactic in that moment drastically changed. Look at verse 27 and 28. He answered, then I beg you, Father, send Lazarus to my family, for I have five brothers. Let him warn them so that they will not also come to this place of torment. Okay, so what do we know about this rich guy? We know, obviously, he believed in hell. He was there. His life in that moment reflected a sincere belief in hell. Back to one of my original thoughts, I'm, I'm afraid this morning that based on the way many of us live, we don't, we either don't really believe in the reality of hell or we, we don't know or understand the awfulness of this place. How can I say that? Uh, because... And again, this is another one of those statements that I, I, don't, I don't want it to come across like I'm condemning or pointing fingers, or, but it's just reality. Um, if we really believed in the reality of heaven and in the reality of hell, our lives would be often totally different. Two-thirds, 67% of Americans believe heaven is a real place. About 6 in 10, 61%. Uh, believe that hell is a real place. Thus, the buffet-style thing where you have a lot of people who are going, yeah, I'll take heaven, I believe that, but I'm not so sure about this hell part of it. That's interesting, but the bigger fact is that there's a lot of folks, when you're talking 60 or 70% of Americans, there's a lot of folks who believe in neither and accept the reality of neither. 
All right, so what do we learn from the story? First, we need, need to acknowledge and understand that um, this rich man was fully conscious in this horrible place. His memory was active. He was aware of the pain. Another thing we learned from this story is that his destiny was irrevocably fixed. He couldn't buy his way out. He couldn't beg his way out. He couldn't work his way out. It, it, it was done. His eternal destiny was settled on earth, and there was no way out on the other side. And uh, another observation. He knew that what he was experiencing was just. Notice in, in the story, he complained about the pain, but he never complained about the injustice. He didn't say this isn't fair. He didn't say no one told me. He complained about the pain, but he never complained about the injustice. And finally, we learn that he pleaded for someone to warn his loved ones. You see this? This guy really understood. This guy really believed in and understood the reality of the horror of hell. And the question is, do we? And based on how some of us live out our faith or lack thereof, I'm not so sure we do. Back to the premise that if I were Satan, I would either, number one, try to convince followers of Jesus that hell isn't real or that it's not really that horrible of a situation. Because if I could do that, people all over the world, unbelievers all over the world, would reject Christ with no fear of God and Obviously, we see that happening. Um, and even those who are believers sometimes seem not to have this reverence and this awe toward God. You know, and we go, yes, I want Jesus to save me, but forget this fully surrendered stuff. Forget this sold out stuff. You know, I... I'm not going to do ministry. I'm not going to honor God with my resources. I'm, I'm not going to let anyone else make decisions about my life. Yes, I want Jesus to save me, but forget about all this other stuff. And this is a sign of believers not really accepting the reality of hell or its horribleness. Um. Also, if I were Satan and could convince you that hell isn't real or it's not that big a deal, um, those in the church wouldn't share their faith. A growing number of Christians don't see sharing their faith, the good news of the gospel, as their personal responsibility. Just Now, let me back up a few years, then I'm going to bring it up to date. Just 10% of Christians, just 10%, small percentage. It's too big, but out of 100, it's still kind of small. Just 10% of Christians in 1993 who had shared about their faith agreed with this statement. Converting people to Christianity is the job of the local church as opposed to the job of the individual or themselves. 25 years later, Three in ten Christians who have had a conversation about faith say evangelism is the local church's responsibility. 29%, almost threefold increase of people who call themselves Christians who say sharing the gospel is the job of the church, whatever that means, 
They must be talking about these four walls that are built of block and steel and wood. They must be talking about the hired guns who are on staff at the church. But it's not my job as an individual to share my faith. And, and I get it. When I talk about sharing your faith, and this is for a whole other day, for those of you who grew up in the church and grew up in some circles, when I talk about evangelism and sharing your faith, man, there are a ton of negative connotations that come with that. I, I get it. I've been there. I've done that. But it, it really can be as simple as you telling people your story. It can be as simple as loving people. It can be as simple as this. And I love you enough to invite you to hear the good news of the gospel at church on Easter Sunday. I mean, there's multiple ways we can do this. But I'm just convinced that if we really bought to the reality of hell, our lives would look different. Um, we need to step across this line and go, I understand it. I believe the reality of hell just like I believe the reality of heaven. I, I want to fully surrender where my life is, where people are seeing Christ and not me and I'm sold out. You know, because I realize that everything else in the end is going to burn up. Let me tell you one other thing that maybe weird some of you out, but it's true. When we read about who Jesus was warning about hell in the New Testament... Let me tell you who he wasn't talking to. Jesus wasn't talking to the tax collectors who were known as sinners in that day because they robbed the people. Um, he wasn't talking to the drunk of the town about hell. He, he wasn't talking to the prostitutes. Do you know who Jesus was talking to when he talked about hell? He was talking to church folks. He was talking to the religious leaders, the Pharisees. That's who he warned. Those who claimed to have faith, but didn't really live it out. That's, he was talking to us, and that's sobering. You know, and either we believe it or we don't. But I wonder if this morning, if God is speaking to some of us going, this is reality. We need to live in this reality. Not live in fear. Not live in being, uh, oh, what's the word where you think you're sick and in trouble all the time? Hypochondriac. Yeah, not being, you know, not being a spiritual hypochondriac. That, that's not what this is about. When I talk about hell, I talk about it from the perspective that this is a message of hope and grace because God has literally done everything outside of manipulating your decision-making and my decision-making. He's done everything in his power to help us to avoid this awful place that just wasn't meant for us. Um, and so that's how I want you to walk out this morning going... That's good news. Because that place is not meant for me. It's not meant for my family. It's not meant for any of us. And God has provided a way. 
I want you to bow your heads with me for a moment this morning. And obviously I can't preach this message without asking this question. Is there somebody here who would go, you know what, Troy, I, I know I'm in church this morning and I'm a pretty good person, you know, I'm not a horrible axe murderer or anything like that or whatever, but I've never purposefully accepted Christ as my Lord and Savior and have invited him, invited him into my heart. Is there anyone here this morning like that who just right where you're at, would you, you would just stand up and you'd say, that's me and Pastor Troy, I want you to lead me in prayer where I can receive Christ as my Savior this morning. And we're not, we're gonna, not going to do it how I grew up where we sang 14 verses of something and browbeat people. It, I'm just going to hold for a few seconds. Is there anyone who would stand up right now and say, I want to make that decision to follow Jesus? And then I'm going to ask another question in a moment. Okay, question number two is this. Is there anyone here who is a follower of Jesus? The Spirit of God is just talking to you this morning. And it's not that you don't believe in hell. It's not that you're rejecting any of what the Bible says about any of this stuff. But maybe the Spirit of God is just going, you need to live with a little bit more of a sense of urgency. Or you need to have a burden for people around you who are lost and at home or at school or at work or on the ball field or wherever. You need to be aware. You need to... You need to have your spiritual antenna up where you're aware that these people are going to spend eternity in one of two places. And, and the Spirit of God is just saying, you, you need that sense of urgency restored in your life. It's not that you've done anything wrong. It's not, you know, it's just you need that. I need that at times. I, I, I need that burden for people who don't know the hope of Jesus. If that's you, would you just stand up right where you're at? Where I could pray with you. Is there anyone like that? Amen. 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 Anyone else? Amen. Amen. Good, good, good. Anyone else? Here's what I want us to do. I want everybody to stand if you would. And I'm standing with these folks who are standing. Lord, first of all, I pray. But if there's anyone under the sound of my voice who doesn't know you as Lord and Savior, God, I pray that you would go with them and that you would speak to them and that you would woo them and that you would draw them unto yourself into this moment of decision where they will step across that line of faith. But Lord, I also pray for those who stood up, including myself, going... I, I need to have a, a sense of urgency. I need to live my life in such a way where I believe those around me are going to one of two places for eternity. And God has called me, not the church, whatever that means, the church, but he has called me personally to share the love of Jesus with those around me. Lord, break our hearts for those who are lost. Wake us up to those who, they're like dead men walking. They, they have no hope. And Lord, may we be those bridge builders of hope. 
Lord, I thank you. I, I thank you for this message because, Lord, you share this with us because it's just one more way that you're trying to say to us, people, this place was never intended for people. And I'm doing everything in my power to, to, to help you not be there. And Lord, as you share with us this morning in your word, we're grateful this time and this space where you give us to consider it to think about it to make changes and to make decisions whatever that might be Lord we thank you for your love may, may these folks walk out of this place not, not fearful not feeling guilty but may they walk out of this place sensing your love in, a, in such a way that we want to do whatever we have to to share it with those around us as well. Thank you, Lord. You are awesome. Your love and your grace and your mercy endures forever. And all God's people said, amen. We're going to worship just for a moment. If anybody wants to come pray, we'd love to pray with people at the altars. Just mind God this morning.
Whatever it is that you're going through or you might be coming upon this week, whatever season of life you may be in or fire that you might be in or struggle or trial, know that you are not alone. Amen. Man, there is hope this week. And, man, let's take that with us as we leave here. Hey, we just want to share a couple of highlights and our closing moments together as we leave today. Uh, talking about we're really excited. Easter is just a couple weeks away. Quick reminder that we are going to have only one service at 1030 at the chapel at MVNU. We are so excited for everybody to gather in one place. It's going to be an awesome Sunday as our kids are going to be having their own celebration of Easter. It's going to be a glow Sunday. Your kids are not going to want to miss that. Um, also, I'm really excited is um, this is going to be a Sunday that uh, we're starting a new series, and it's called, Who is Jesus Really? And as part of this series, we're going to be asking the question that maybe many of us ask ourselves, man, is Jesus really the Son of God? Is He really the Savior of the world? Man, are we sure He's not just a really good person? 
man, these are big questions. We're going to dig into this as we dig into Scripture and find out who does Jesus say he is. So we hope Easter Sunday, as we start this series, that you don't miss it. But it's also going to be an incredible Sunday for you to invite a friend, a co-worker, a neighbor to come and explore in this series as we seek uh, to find Jesus together. Plan on that. Hey, as part of this series, Who is Jesus Really? Um, this is going to be a church-wide emphasis. And what that means is what we're taking on Sunday mornings right here in our sermons is the same conversation our kids are going to be having. Same conversation our teens are having. Same conversation our life groups are going to be taking throughout the week. We are so excited for this. It's been years since we've done this together, but we're really excited to see how God moves. And our hope is that whether it's just friends having a dinner together or family sitting down at the dinner table talking about who is Jesus really, continuing that conversation. If you were an adult and you are not yet in a life group, we are really excited. We are starting several new groups just for this five-week series. So this will be a great chance for you just to take a first step in community with us. We're going to have tons of groups on Sunday morning, on Wednesday night, on Sunday nights that you can participate in for these five weeks. And we're really excited to be in community and answering that question together. Uh, New Life, uh, we want to say thank you. Uh, Thank you for your generosity. Thank you for your faithfulness to make a difference right here in our community. Man, you are doing that. Just in the last couple weeks, um, because of that, you're giving to things like our Do Good Share Hope Fund. Uh, You have been able to help bless a family that just went through a sudden job loss, um, helping them transition into new employment. And what was a really challenging and scary time for this family, this young, growing family of young kids, a time of uncertainty, we were able to come alongside because of you and to help them um, help them feel loved and supported um, at a time of need. So we just want to say thank you for your continued support. We appreciate that. Well, hey, if you are new to New Life, uh, man, we want to say welcome. We are so honored that you chose to celebrate with us. There's one thing that we would ask, we would love for you to do this. You will find a welcome card in the back of the seat in front of you. Before you leave today, would you just take a moment and fill that out? You can drop it off at the Welcome Center. Two things, we've got a gift that we want to give you. It's just our way of saying thanks for being with us. But two, we want to get to know you. We want to meet you, learn your name, and share about what God is doing right here and how you might be a part of building God's kingdom with us right here in this community. So do that. And if you are fairly new, uh, maybe over the last couple weeks, couple months, or over the last year, and you haven't yet attended one of our Connect lunches, we want to invite you next Sunday after the third service. We're going to have a free meal for you. Um, it's going to be awesome. It's a chance for you to meet our leadership team, meet other people who are new just like yourself, and to learn about how you can get more connected. So there's going to be child care, food is free. It's going to be awesome. Help us sign up that we got to know how many to plan for. But we want you to know, if you haven't been to one of those yet, please join us next Sunday. Well, New Life, as you go, I want to leave you with this. Now to him who is able to protect you from stumbling and to make you stand in the presence of his glory without blemish and with great joy. To the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ, our Lord, be glory, majesty, power, authority before all time, both now and forever. Amen. You're dismissed. Have a great week.